Hey friends, welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Downs. I'm really happy to be here with you today. What a great week of podcasting we've had. Well, we're just on a roll, aren't we? We are on a roll and we have got a great show in store for you today too. But before we jump into today's conversation, I want to take a moment to tell you about one of our amazing partners, Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens is a health and wellness company that makes comprehensive daily nutrition really, really simple. We talk all the time about trying to be good friends to ourselves. And a great way to do that is by giving our bodies the rest, exercise, and nutrition that they need to thrive. But our busy lifestyles, you could get this, can sometimes leave us deficient in key nutritional areas. AG1 by Athletic Greens, the category-leading superfood product, brings comprehensive and convenient daily nutrition to everybody. Keeping up with the research, knowing what to do, and taking a bunch of different pills or supplements can be hard on the stomach and tough on your brain. Hard to keep up with. To help each one of us be our best, they simplify the path to better nutrition by giving you the one thing with all the best results. I just mix one scoop into really cold water every morning, and this one tasty scoop of AG1 contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, a multimineral, probiotic, greens, superfood blend, and more in one convenient daily serving, you guys. That's in one scoop. The special blend of high-quality, bioavailable ingredients and a scoop of AG1 work together to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet, support energy and focus, aid with gut health and digestion, and support a healthy immune system, effectively replacing multiple products or pills with one healthy, delicious drink. A couple of our team members use AG1, and it's replaced having to take a separate multivitamin and probiotic every day. We are here for added convenience while maintaining quality. So join the movement of athletes, amateurs, first-timers, experts, and everyone in between taking ownership of their daily health and focusing on the nutritional products they really need in the simplest manner possible. That's Essentialist Nutrition. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you an immune-supporting free one-year supply of vitamin D, wow, and five free travel packs with your first purchase if you visit athleticgreens.com slash soundsfun today. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash sounds fun to take control of your health and give AG1 a try. Today on the show, I get to talk with my friend Dave Hollis. Dave is a New York Times bestselling author, host of the popular Rise Together podcast that I got to be on, keynote speaker, and life and business coach. Dave's history includes being the CEO of a media startup, former president of sales for the film studio at the Walt Disney Company, you guys, and he's worked all over the entertainment industry. His new book, Built Through Courage, Face Your Fears to Live the Life You Were Meant For, came out last week, and I love the heart and the message of this book so much. I love the heart and the message of this guy so much. I know y'all are going to find Dave and his energy inspiring and encouraging. So here's my conversation with my friend, Dave Hollis. Okay, Dave. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Listen, Dave Hollis, we're just, now we're recording. Now it's the show. It's on. Listen, I love being your friend. I love being your friend. This is working out great. Two days <laughs> of real life friendship and we are just deep waters already. It's on. Tell me how Nashville has been to you the last couple of days. It has felt like family was welcoming welcoming me back home. I mean, like, really? I, yeah, in, in a crazy way, I have like become familiar now with a variety of people that you happen to also be familiar with. Yeah. And so like everyone knowing each other and each of these people being important to me, yeah. strangely in a world where I was like, hey, can I come sit on your patio? Would you invite yeah. me? To, can I invite myself to your home? That every one of these people was like, yeah, 
Yeah. I'll invite you to my home and I will make you feel welcome with the invitation. Yeah. It felt like, wow, this is something I have not yet experienced. Wow. And I was I was this morning on a street where the number of musicians that live on the street <laughs> yeah. is a thing. Yeah. And so it's like funny, just like the the fact that there was something of like, oh, this is where we congregate. Like, yeah. you know, I made a joke to one of the artists I was talking to that you could run over a Grammy, mm-hmm. like driving down the street. <laughs> true. And it's just a thing. It's true. Right? We have a dream of that road, being able to throw a Frisbee from top to bottom of the street and only have people we know catch it. That's our dream of that one street. I love that idea. Yeah. And the thing is, it feels like it's like coming to be. There's yeah. something happening on that road. But, there was, yeah. but there's something great about it. And it, in a world where... I, I grew up in Southern California, mm-hmm. and as much as I associate my ho- associated myself as a Californian for my whole life, yeah. my move to Texas showed me a way to be and a and a way that family can exist. Yeah, that was such a departure from, and yet I live out in the sticks, which is fantastic when it yeah. comes to like the preservation of peace and really set and resetting after you know anything that's felt felt crazy, but also. I don't have a neighborhood right now and that I'm I'm truly like near the wilderness. Yeah. And coming here, I'm I, like I had this feeling of like, oh man, this is like the way that neighborhoods were meant to be. Yeah. Especially when in every conversation it was like, did you know that this person that you also love lives literally right across the street? Yeah. Did you I mean, cause really you were probably in like a eight mile radius for all of us except John Acuff. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. everybody's right here. Everyone's right here. It's really interesting. Yeah, and also like really close to downtown. Like I stayed yeah. downtown and had no concept when I booked the hotel yeah. where I was going to be having to drive to. Everything was like 15 minutes away. Yeah, like, it's not bad. Nuts. It used to really not be bad. Now everybody moves here. Yeah. But I mean, in the olden days, <laughs> 10 years ago, it was like everything was 15 minutes away. Yeah. And now it's a little bit more, but it's not terrible. I love it. The rumors about you behind your back here in town have been everybody feels the same. That it feels like, does he live here? Like, <laughs> is he part of this? I mean, it's been really interesting. That doesn't happen very much. You know what's interesting? When the decision to leave Disney was on the table, there were two cities mm-hmm. that we talked about. Yeah. One was Nashville. The other was Austin. Yeah. And it just turned out that the trip to Austin happened before the trip to Nashville. Yeah. And I was at a place where I so desperately needed to make a change that that first trip to Austin had us having we had dinner with Jen Hatmaker that first yeah. night. We had breakfast the next morning with a foster care charity that I've become part of because of us having been foster parents. It felt very like ordained kind of moment, yeah. magical in this restaurant bathroom where I was looking at the, myself in the mirror like, oh my goodness, God's working here. There's yeah. something calling me into this space. Maybe, I don't know. And we went from that meeting with a real estate agent just to see the city. And it yeah. was not like a oh, we're going to go on this trip and buy a house or even like seriously consider moving. It was like, let's just go check it out and see if there's something there. Yeah. And we got to the place that I currently live in and I got out of the car. I could cry even thinking about this. And I said, we have to buy this house today. Like we have to figure out the financing, but I have to create the leverage to make the move to leave Disney wow. and the leverage will be I bought a house in the middle of nowhere yeah. outside of Austin, Texas. Wow. And you still live in that house. I still live in that house. Okay. Yeah. My gosh. I know. 
Go come over one day. You'll yeah. see that house. I'm ready. I'm ready for that pool, man. <laughs> I am here for that it pool. It is ready for you. It's beautiful. Thank you. I will keep going down this path, but I'll also just tell our friends that you've given me permission to ask questions. And you can ask anything that this. you'd like. How, when you think back to that day when you bought that house and you saw what your family was going to be. Yeah. And now you are not, not married to Rachel anymore. Your kids aren't with you all the time, it seems, based yeah. on social media. But the house is the same. <laughs> what is that like to stay? Why didn't you go, you know what? I'm going to buy a new house. I'm going to move somewhere new. I need to start over. Yeah. Well, the house isn't the same, mm-hmm. right? The house is different. Though the house itself is the same, the energy of the house and the inhabitants of the house, they're mm-hmm. different. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think I ended up staying in the house in part because at the beginning of our conversation about divorce, I was not probably capable, to be totally honest, of finding a new place and decorating it and yeah. actually still also surviving in a way that staying in a place that I was familiar with, that was furnished, that, like, yeah, you course. know, right? And so I, I just, I had to process a lot of grief, right? I, I had a vision on that day that we bought the house of how we'd live in that house yeah. as a family of six for the rest of time. And that vision going away and in that earliest moment was so overwhelming that my imagination for what might be next was just overwhelmed and compromised wow. Wow. by fear. By, by fear of like, well, I mean, I made a list. I had 46 things that I made a list of that I was afraid of because wow. that was my primary emotion in the absence of being able to connect to what I knew would exist now that it was gone. And that blank piece of paper, you know, it's a it's a thing that when it's handed to you and your future sits on it, now, 18 months later, I'm like, oh, my goodness, how great that I've been able to, like, really draw out a vision of how I want to try and have the rest of my life show up. And yeah. I've said as many times as I can that the legacy that I leave on this planet will be a reflection of everything that's happened after 45 and not mm. really anything that happened before. I mean, I had wow. a great career in corporate media, you know, inside of Disney and other places. And I hope at my funeral, they don't even bring up the fact that I worked in Hollywood. Wow. I want to have something else, something greater. And I can see that vision now. That blank piece of paper was filled out. But at that beginning, oh, it was equal parts terrifying and exhilarating, but mostly terrifying. Wow. Okay, so I think my my next thought is a lot of us live in quote quote houses where things change and don't look the way they want to. And I'm thinking about God and I'm thinking about how there are times where where God and I are the ones in this house and I go, "Hey, everything changed here. Why do I have to stay here? Everything's different. Why am I staying? Or how do I stay or whatever." So I would I guess I want to know how staying in a season of leaving and grieving affected your relationship with God? Well, at the beginning, I had trouble believing in anything. I'm sure. Because so much of what I'd believed in, I thought would never, ever change. I couldn't contemplate the possibility of not being married for the rest of my life. I had moved from California to Texas to work in this company where I thought, we'll do this This thing forever. We're going to have impact and help people. It's going to be so good. And it's going to exist forever. 
And the fact that those things that I'd been so sure of didn't exist any longer, I was like, what else have I been so sure of? Oh, And Dave. I was like, uh-oh. Gosh. I'm not so sure about this God now. Right. I'm not so sure about my personal identity. I'm not so sure about, right? And so I had in like this deconstruction of life, a real opportunity to inventory everything, like what matters and what doesn't. And what I found out, of course, is that very, very few things matter. Like what are the capital T truths of my life? And at the beginning, as much as there was this like, why? Like, why would this happen? Right. What could I have done? What should I? Is there, is there a reason? Like, what's it for? Anyone who starts a journey of change like this at the beginning has no objectivity to understand it. Hmm. Just wow. none. Just wow. none. You and, just can't. There's like, you're like, I can't make decisions right now. Nope. Yeah. Because I can today tell you that the things that happened that in that moment had me questioning God himself were the most profound and likely biggest levers for who I'll be known as at the end of my life. Wow. Wow. Okay. And but you so, never picked them. But I didn't pick them. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I would— I, I, Life I, is so hard. Life is so hard <laughs> and so crazy. But at the beginning of 2020, or I guess end of 19, I'd had this opportunity at a holiday party with our company to make this audacious claim that 2020 was going to be my best year ever. No. So I, into the universe, in front of my team mm-hmm. and our everyone, I make this claim. And what I realized, and I said this to you yesterday, like I didn't have a say in the conditions through which my best year would come. Mm. And so as it turned out, I, yep, I don't want to have to experience that hard season. I don't want to have to go through 2020 again. But I did end up having my best year ever. But it required me experiencing experiencing the worst of kind of everything and anything I couldn't have even imagined. I would I would say what I could imagine. I couldn't even imagine yeah. the things that I felt. But to back to get back to your questions, like the beginning was, now I have to question the things that I that were previously unquestionable. But I was also because of the grief, because of the disorientation, because of the fear around that blank piece of paper, I found myself interested in not dying, (laughs) figuratively and literally. And so I started, I mean, it started with running. Then it was after the run sitting on a rock in nature. I was carving out time on a back patio that I'd called the patio of peace. And I was on my knees figuratively and literally, hands in the air. Are you there? Like, what is happening? And And it turned into such a a different frequency of communication that in like a James 4, 6 kind of way, draw near to mm. God, he'll draw near to you. Mm. I kept coming closer and he kept revealing himself in ways that I'd never seen before. Wow. And in some, in some ways, it was what was happening on a rock at the end of a run. But in other ways, it was the way that people were emerging in my life to remind me of my truth mm. in a season where I didn't myself have certainty in it. Yeah. And so, you know, I had a, uh, my pastor as a, for example, I write in the book, he, every single day for the first eight weeks of this experience, sent me the same 11 word text every day. Uh-uh. And it was, what small piece of sadness can I hold for you today? Oh my gosh. 
And what a gift. it was just this gentle reminder that someone was walking with me. Mm. And it wasn't an attempt to minimize. It wasn't an attempt to explain. It was just a recognition that this stinks. Yeah. And I'm here. And if I can take even just a pound of the weight that you're carrying from you, let me do that, friend. And I would respond sometimes. Sometimes I wouldn't. It didn't matter. That same text came every single day. There was a person in my DMs, of all things, that back in November, so six months before this conversation of divorce even shows up, just started sending me a prayer every day. And why I saw him, why I even noticed, I I can't, you know, God probably. His name was Jared. He just had a thought a day. And every time I was moving into something new, I'm going to publish my first book. I'm going to coach for the first time. I was really trying to step into and use some gifts that I, to be honest, I I had fear for. Like, oh, am I qualified to be a writer? Can I do this pod? Can I do these things? And every time he sent a DM, it just seemed to speak to exactly what I needed to hear on that day. And while I was grateful for the notes, it wasn't until we got into the conversation of divorce that I realized that Jared was there as a seating emissary, right? He was just seating for six months. This reminder of a faithfulness that existed that in my receipt of those notes was priming me Mm -hmm. for a willingness in the midst of questioning to come back and draw closer. Yeah. And the writing a book on courage after that. How do you how do you do that? How do you just lay all this in front of us from only 18 months ago? What kind of courage does it take for you to write Built Through Courage? Well, I mean number 1, I start the book with a letter to the reader mm. where I do want to be clear up front that I'm I'm in a new relationship, and we play these games to try and continue to get to know each other. A card was pulled in this card game we have that tries to provoke questions and answers so that you can do so. And one of the questions was, describe yourself in three words. Mm -hmm. And the conventional thing is to pick three individual discrete words, but my words were work in progress. Wow. And so like in the letter to the reader at the beginning of this book, I do start with this disclaimer that, hello, I think I've got a fantastic book that will equip you with the kind of courage that's required Mm -hmm. to take steps closer to honoring the intention of a creator who knew exactly what he was doing when he put you here. And yet, I am a work in progress. And the stories that I end up telling, as much as they do very much, take you through what what it was like on that rock at the end of that run and questioning this, you know, God and, and, and even the story of Jared, right? Like, all of those things end up being there as this like, hey, here's a peek into how the cultivation of courage during the hardest and best year of my life showed up and a little bit of a map on how if you have any way of connecting to the stories that in my life that maybe can, you know, are, are a reflection of something you've experienced, well, great. Um, but also know that like I'm – still working through so many of these things. But writing that book was one of the greatest gifts that could have happened because of the catharsis of putting the words on paper and and the process. It's not, there's, you know, (laughs) there's no there there when it comes to the ending of our marriage. We had a great marriage. It didn't end for some big reason, but a thousand small ones. 
And I'm not, you know, this isn't some, you know, showy telly, what really happened. No, yeah. no. This is talking about the aftermath of when you think your life's going to go a certain way and other plans present themselves. How do you cultivate the courage to keep going and develop the resilience, but also the good that comes in the heart? Mm. Because I'm sitting here in front of you in the best shape of my life. And I don't mean just physically. I mean mentally and emotionally and spiritually. I'm in the best shape of my life. Yeah. And that shape is a byproduct of a thing that I never wanted to happen. Yeah. That is it's just wild how God and life, that is, the, that is the gift of how hard planet Earth is. Yeah. Is that good almost always comes out of it. Yeah. Always comes out of it, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. It's it, like in a crazy way, I do think, and this is, again, that like the objectivity that you have now relative to the subjectivity yeah. then, I do think that with the objectivity I have today – I will be ready when, mm. right? Like, I, it's not like, oh, my hard stuff's done. So good <laughs> right, news, right? Like, right. I got to check the box and I have satisfied having to go through hard stuff. No, like, right. I'm just like in training mm-hmm. for what ends up being my preparation for the next hard thing. And I'm not going to want that thing to come either. Right. But at right. least now I have another set of evidence. And man, there's like some good hard facts in this one. Yeah. Of how ready I am of how much I can handle and how strong I can be on the other side, even if I don't like having to go through whatever it ends up being. Yeah. Hey, friends, just interrupting this conversation real quick to share about another one of our incredible partners, Green Chef. I know we're all doing our best to fit in all the things that matter to us, work and rest and spiritual rhythms and exercise time with our people. Well, as much as I hate to admit it, eating well at home can fall a little low on my priority list when life gets busy. It's why I'm so grateful to have found Green Chef. Green Chef is a USDA certified organic company with meal plans that include keto, paleo, plant powered, and options for those of us who simply want a dinner menu with a little more balance. Green Chef's expert chefs curate every recipe. They are seriously so delicious. And there's so much variety with over 30 meal choices every week an updated menu weekly and the flexibility to switch plans. You'll never have to sacrifice taste for nutrition. You can enjoy restaurant quality dishes and the comfort of your own home. The sesame ginger chicken was so flavorful. I could have sworn it was takeout rather than something I whipped up myself. I love that the green chef bags come with pre-portioned ingredients and easy to follow instructions that are delivered right to your house. Eating well has never been simpler, y'all. You're saying I can mark meal planning and grocery shopping off the to-do list? Done and done. What a time saver during busy weeks. Green Chef is America's number one meal kit for eating well, meaning they're the best meal kit for every healthy lifestyle, whether you're keto or paleo, vegan, vegetarian, gluten-free, pescatarian, or you just want to eat more balanced meals. Green Chef is also the most sustainable meal kit, offsetting 100% of their plastic use, which you know I love, and 100% of their carbon footprint and emissions. I think that's awesome. So go to greenchef.com slash that sounds fun 125 and use the code that sounds fun 125 to get $125 off, you guys, including free shipping. Again, that's greenchef.com slash that sounds fun 125 and the code to get $125 off including free shipping is that sounds fun 125 green chef the number one meal kit for eating well y'all are gonna love it and now back to my conversation with dave hollis 
so many of our friends listening, and and me, I have wrestled with this in my writing as well. It is so cathartic, but it isn't just my story. Yeah. So without without being, I want us to be as honoring as you as we can be. But also, how do you balance telling this story when your ex wife also is a writer and also is very well known? And I'm thinking about our friends at home who are listening and are like, yeah, I want to write my story, too. Yeah, I want to write my story, too. You know, like, how do you do that? Because the book is really honoring. And and you talking about your relationship and your history is really honoring. How did you get there instead of writing the one you could have written? Well, my okay to ask you that? 100%. Okay. Here's the thing. My primary identity, the day before we had a conversation about divorce, was husband to Rachel. Mm-hmm. Right? It was an identity that I knew more than I knew any other part of myself. Hmm. And as much as the grieving is a thing that in part is a grieving of loss of identity, I still am connected to and honor that person that I was, totally. even in the aftermath of things not turning out the way that I thought that they would. Mm-hmm. And in the transition of my marriage, you know, my outside of my identity to God, my identity is probably close, most closely related to the relationship I have with my four kids. Yeah. Right? They're so cute. Yeah. And Aww. here's the thing. Three of them can read. <laughs> right. 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 So they can read books. They can read books. Yeah. And as much as they're not likely to read these yet, they will. Yeah. Right? That's right. And, um, and so I take that into consideration. But also, Rachel and I are going to be family for the rest of my life, mm-hmm. right? Like we are raising these kids. We're co-parenting. Our relationship is wildly, wildly different than it was. Yeah. But it doesn't change the fact that she's a part of me and I'm a part of her and that we mm-hmm. still have these four kids. And we're, <laughs> we're having Thanksgiving this year at my house. And the cast of characters that will be on hand now include wow. – Human beings that we are in relationships with mm-hmm. that aren't each other. Yeah. And the new normal, as much as it's, again, it's not a thing I could have ever contemplated. Yeah. There is something that has come out of this that has afforded a healthiness in our relationship that is different than some of the dysfunction that existed inside of a marriage. Yeah. And- you know, I, I would have fought to stay married for the rest of my life, mm-hmm. right? I you. But the question, and I put it in the book, so I'm happy to and comfortable talking about it. The question that was asked at the beginning of a conversation about divorce was a simple one in that she wanted to know, can you be the man that God created you to be married to me? Which... Makes me want to cry a little bit, I'll be honest, because it's still such a heavy – I remember the day that I heard the question, my entire – the floor of my home fell out. And I – in the absence of the objectivity that exists today, man, I could have made a million arguments for how I could, of course, still become this person that God put me on the planet to be. And I am – I look at pictures of myself – from 18 months ago, and I don't recognize myself. Really? I am fundamentally a different person, and I feel more connected now to 
so many different things that are important as a part of my capital T truths in life and honoring that intention of why I was placed on this planet in part because of an impossible decision that someone else made. Mm -hmm. And so it's a, it's, it's, it's such a hard thing because it's in an audience like yours and in an audience that I, I I grew up in the church my entire life. And I certainly grew up with a lot of conversation around the way that you fight to stay married for the rest of time. And I still believe it. But I also know that that belief would have kept me potentially from the thing that I know in not being married. And so it's such a, how do I reconcile those things? And I can't tell you, I don't have a good answer for you. I love that you don't have a good answer for me because so many of us wrestle down things. I got yelled at. I mean, you get yelled at on the internet times 100,000. I love getting yelled at, please. But I got yelled at yesterday because someone wanted me to take a harder stand on something. And I thought, well, the problem is you don't know what's in me. Yeah. And you don't know that I can't reconcile this thing that are that is between two worlds like that of what I was always told and what I'm experiencing and what to do with those two things. Yeah. And just because I have a blue check doesn't mean I have the answers. Yeah. Right? Also, I will say it is uh, I want to say it's easy. I don't even know that it is conscious to have definite, for sure, I'll fight you for it, opinions about something before you've been through it. Yeah. And I had those. Yeah. And it's different when you've actually had the experience of the person that you are arguing with. And I don't, you know, this is not, I, I believe in the sanctity of marriage and I want to fight for every person who's in a healthy marriage to stay married for the rest of time. And that's all I'm going to say about that because <laughs> I don't want anybody to come at me on the internet. <laughs> yeah. They, I mean, that's a question I have for you. When, when y'all did announce getting divorced, I mean, the, half the internet, the entire internet was angry at you. Yeah. Well... I was that part of the grieving? No. Okay. I mean, here's the thing. Like I I am so I'm so proud of the community that was created and I I understand what they felt. Mm. I felt it. Fair. Okay? And and if, you know, I I do think back to as much as we had a podcast where we were talking about components of our relationship. And I can, through the lens of where we sit today, I can see so clearly, oh, wow, we were publicly doing therapy in front of people about the problems we had in codependence, about the stuff that we had in our visions being a little bit different, about, right? But what it sounded like was, hey, we're couple goals, Dave Hollis and Rachel Hollis, and we figured everything out, and we want to teach you how to figure it out, too. And that, as much as it wasn't the intention, is the way I think it could have been received. Mm -hmm. And that combined with what felt like a record scratch of not, the only time people get upset is when they get surprised. Oh, say that. The only time people get upset is when they get surprised. That's exactly right. And so, like, there was surprise in this because we'd created such a relationship and there was surprise in this for me. I got upset (laughs) because of of what it, because of it feeling surprising. And um, and so, like, you know, if people took it personally or they felt whatever they felt, 
I honor those feelings. I think it's reasonable to feel those feelings. And also, you weren't in our marriage, you know? So it's, you know, like respectfully, the, you know, the person on the internet who isn't in the arena as a spectator doesn't get to play the game or dictate how the game gets played. So yeah. at a certain point, um, you know, I want to honor it and I want to say, yeah, I felt that way too. But also, I hope that you can have some compassion for and grace for the four kids I have yes. and the really painful, like, you know, like just because one person makes a decision doesn't make mean that it's not hard for that person also. Yeah, of course. Right? Yes. And like there's hard on all sides of divorce. Yes. When you look at your life, if you, if you, if you um, dot mapped courage in your life and opportunities to be brave, are there spikes in it? Or is it a straight line up and to the right? Like, have, ha, is courage something that we should feel a bit every day? Or are there, like, 18 months ago, is that a spike in courage and then you got to drop back down? Does it look like a heartbeat or does it look like a a hill? Ooh, this is a great question. Thank you. And I actually, I, the thing is, I, I think it should be linear, okay? Mm -hmm. It should be. Because if you were every day increasingly drawing on courage, it means that you are every day pushing just a little further away from comfort. Yeah. You're every day facing fear on a different level. You're every day trying new things that expose you to the opinions of other people or challenge the programming that you had growing up of how to be good or right. Right. right? So if you were, you're crushing the game. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, I think it ends, for me anyway, personally, I used a lot of courage at the beginning of a career inside of media and then found myself leaning on some natural talents yeah. that had me not pushing as hard into spaces that I hadn't previously been inside of. Mm -hmm. And the decision to leave Disney as the head of sales was a byproduct of not having to study for tests and getting straight A grades because of the quality of the intellectual property around me and the strength of my teams, but also the reflection of me not fighting for pushing into spaces that were going to, in the discomfort, help me grow. Mm -hmm. And in the in the absence of growth, I, like in that absence of growth, I'd stopped not just only growing, I'd started dying. Oh, wow. And so the courage that then was- Did you was, know it at the time? I didn't know it at the beginning of that death, but yeah. I did know it not long after. And that was my biggest fear was a question that was asked of my middle son in a spa while we were out back. <laughs> and he was, you know, looking for tarantulas and scorpions. Certainly. And out of my mouth fell, not living up to my potential. Oh, wow. And as it came out of my mouth, I realized I was in real time living into my greatest fear by in a job that was everyone else's dream job and was great. I I'd mean, like to meet one person who hasn't dreamed of working at Disney. I want to be the president of sales at Disney. <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. Everybody thinks of Disney as yeah. a dream place to work, yeah, for sure. And it was an amazing job. I, I got sure. the job at 36, from 36 to 39. It was overwhelming, which made it extraordinary. Yeah. Because I was out of my depth. I was trying to find ways to convince Steven Spielberg to take me seriously. <laughs> Which, Which is, is like, who would hilarious. Want? <laughs> it's wild, right? Which Do you is, have each other's phone numbers? Uh, not anymore. Okay. No, I, it, when when you leave, you're gone. Okay. It's it's over and goodbye. But 
the, the, the work that I had to do to try and create some credibility in a space where I had no experience was exhilarating. I was out of my depth and I was growing because of the discomfort and yeah. I felt fantastic. Yeah. And then as I got the hang of the job, as, as Marvel and Lucasfilm were added to the portfolio with Disney and Pixar, selling Star Wars and Avengers movies to theaters, once you get the hang of the job and have a relationship with the filmmaking community, changed the way that I felt about myself when I was by myself mm -hmm. because I knew I was on some days mailing it in and still getting praised for having done a good job. Yeah. It doesn't take courage to maintain the status quo. It doesn't right. take courage to just be okay with being okay. Right. And in that setting where I'd become okay with doing whatever it took but not more to still do a good job and get bonuses, I felt miserable because wow. there was dissonance between who I was put on the planet to be by God and the way I was showing up every day. And that space was where shame and regret mm -hmm. and underfulfilled expectations or compromised confidence lived. And I had to go on a journey after that conversation in the spa to try and create integrity between this version of who I know I could be and the way that I actually applied this gift set that yes. I have yes. to my work and to the world. And so um, that, that, you know, was – that took courage. It took courage to leave Disney. It took yes. courage. I had to – Go after I made that impulsive leverage decision to buy the house and ask permission to be let out of a four-year contract that was only seven months in. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And the, the, the courage, I mean, like I sounded like an insane person walking into Bob Iger's office to ask permission to be let out of a contract. Right. But that courage was the first – decision of courage that was then followed by a string of them when I found myself not with the greatest team in the world, not with the greatest intellectual property in the world, not with the greatest mm -hmm. filmmakers in the world. Mm -hmm. And that, again, like, so as your dots are showing up on the graph, you're going back up high. Yeah. And the good news is, I think in the five years since, you know, more or less that I've left, I, I have pride for where yeah. the dots of courage end up living even as I've been the most uncomfortable of my life, the mm -hmm. discomfort is what's produced me sitting across from you as the best version I've ever yes, been. Yes. I mean, I think the in my life, I would say it looks more like a heartbeat pattern than I wish it did, but it's a heartbeat pattern that's turned at a 45-degree angle. That's great. Right? And so it's like, I mean, I wish it was high, high, high all the time, but I feel like, well, at least I can know that what what is asked of me and being brave right now is light years ahead of what I could have even asked myself five years ago yeah. to do. Right? By the way, I think the decision to cultivate courage or be brave, face fear, all those things, it gets easier every sing every subsequent time that you are asking your courage to present itself. Yeah. It's easier to command it. And I think you're able to command a broader swath of it, right? Yes. So it you comes have more tools. You have, you have more tools. Yeah. It comes quicker and it has more strength. Mm -hmm. It can handle even a greater degree of fear because you've convinced, you've shown yourself. You have now this like evidence trail that, yeah. oh, last time I had to be courageous, I survived. Last yeah. time I didn't just survive, I thrived. I actually grew into this better version of myself where I learned these things mm -hmm. and yep, that heartbreak was bad or stumbling publicly was bad or failing in that small business was bad. But you know what? I know what not to do next time. Yeah. All right, I can be courageous with this piece of knowledge that I didn't have last time, 
And I might make a mistake again, but I won't make as big a mistake as I made that last time because I now have this thing. And it just it remains true. I stand pretty hard. I know you do too. I stand pretty hard that the Bible is true. <laughs> and, and when God says he'll work it out, yeah. he says he'll work it out. He doesn't say you're not going to make mistakes. And that's the part I thought it said, is that when God works all things together for the good of those who love him, I thought it meant... And there won't be problems. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of times people think, oh, well, I've been praying for it, so it's going to happen the way I've been asking. Woof, woof. And that's, right? Like, no. no. I, like, God hears prayer and God answers prayer, but God didn't say he's going to answer prayer in the way that you've asked for it. Right. And so that, but the, by the way, that's a lesson that comes in our hardest seasons, hmm. yeah. right? Like, no one voted for what we're going through in COVID, right? Like, no one's asking for any of what's happening in the world in real time. No. And yet the, the process of processing the things mm. that we are are equipping us to handle the things that we'll face. And yeah. that's a thing that, again, you can't appreciate in real time because some of what's being honed, some of the things that are being forged in this fire, you don't even realize why you need that skill yet because you haven't got to the place yet in your life where you need to use it. Mm-hmm. I'm... You know, I, I just I feel grateful for things that I was screaming in my backyard about just 18 months ago. Right? Yeah. Like the gratitude I can have today for that thing that I was like, why, God, would you bring this thing to? Yes. Why is this also happening? And it, again, it's just time changes the lens that you're able to you know, mm. really appreciate any of these things through. I think one of the things I know you for as a distance friend, now a close friend, is resilience. It feels like it's a word that, on purpose or not, kind of reminds me of you. I think of resilience. Uh, When you look at, let's talk about COVID for a minute, because you're right, your book, Built Through Courage, is about being brave. We need to talk about resilience. And we're in a world now where COVID is doing more, they say, than it was doing before. Yeah. And and I feel in my body, (laughs) I don't have it in me to do that again. What is the resilience you feel or what's the encouragement you'd give for for us having to face this thing again that we thought was a once in a lifetime thing? Yeah, I I mean it feels trite almost to use the line how is this for you and not happening to you. Mm. But there is something at the essence of, you know, can we in the preparation for handling another wave, take a second to appreciate any of the good that came in the hard oh, that's already brilliant. existed. Brilliant. Right? Like, yes. And this is not to dismiss death or sickness, the fear, inconvenience of homeschool, and none of it. Like right. everyone has had to go through hard things. And yet, like one of the first things I wrote in this book, and it happened just at the beginning of COVID existing, was this idea that we take this time in the rush to return to normal. Let's take this time to really understand what parts of normal are worth rushing back to. Mm-hmm. And, and I think wow. that we've done some work in this space already, right? Like yeah. there are things that we used to do and swear would exist forever that fundamentally have changed in our mind as things that have to happen. Yeah, like blowing out birthday candles. <laughs> <laughs> we were doing that all along. I never thought about it. Wait a second. <laughs> But the the way that we afforded weight to things that in an environment like we've come out of just don't matter anymore. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, okay, wait. 
and it's it's kind of you know like the big event in my life 18 months ago affording me this permission to inventory what mattered and didn't yeah. i think we're all inside that space yeah there's a there's a quote that i use in the book from tyler durden of fight yes. club yes. which is it's only once you've lost everything that you're free to do anything mm. and in a way my experience and this doesn't connect perfectly to COVID, but my experience with going through something hard had me like really struggling at first to understand why. And then I started to look at like where there were examples of people who went through hard things that had good things come as a result of the bad thing. Wow. And I found, like you, of course, of course you're going to find like most people that you admire, most companies that you admire were built through struggle and adversity and resilience as, and as a byproduct of the resilience, something great was born. Yeah. But as I'm like in this rabbit hole and there's a lot of like corporate examples and business leaders and like whatever, I like turn to the Bible and there you go again. Like there are these examples of like Job and Jonah and like there's Lazarus, right? Like mm-hmm. Lazarus had to die in order for his good thing to happen, that, right? right? His people didn't get it. I have literally never thought about that. The timing didn't make sense in real time, right? But Lazarus had to die so that he could be brought back to life. And it made me do this inventory of like, well, what had to die in my life so that I might be brought back to life? Mm. And guess what? As it turned out, like uh, uh, unfortunately for me and unfortunately for anyone who goes through a hard thing, oftentimes really big and important things have to die in your life for you to be brought back to life. The most important relationship in my life, my identity, my sense of normalcy, in some ways my sanity, yeah. right? All of those things had to die. But the beauty in that death, in that ridiculous Fight Club quote, was in that death, now in the ashes, I was in this place of freedom mm-hmm. to define who I'd be reborn into in the absence of things that had always always existed, but now we're dead. Yeah. And some of us need COVID. And, and I again, I don't want COVID to last for one more second. Me either. But some of us need COVID to kill something in our life. And I'm not talking about a person. I'm yes, talking yes, about yes. a relationship to technology or a way that we spend time connecting with our kids. I mean, if we don't do that today, we need, a, we need that relationship to die and be reborn into something new because of the way yeah. that this quarantining maybe changes the way that we're connecting. Yeah. I, I don't like that it's happening, but if it's going to happen, is there a way for us to connect any of the good that's come from it so that we can look forward to the good that might still exist inside of the heart? Hey, friends, just taking a quick break to tell you about one of our amazing partners, Modern Fertility. The traditional guidance with fertility has been just wait and see, but now we have tools to help us plan for and track everything in our lives, wellness, finances, careers, education. Why is fertility still wait and see? That's why Modern Fertility was created. It's the easy and affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple finger prick. Mail it in with a prepaid label and you'll get your personalized results within 10 days. Traditional testing with your doctor can cost over $1,000, but Modern Fertility gets you the same information at $159, a fraction of the price. And if you go to modernfertility.com slash that sounds fun, you can get $20 off your test. And also, if you have an HSA or an FSA, you can put those dollars toward Modern Fertility. 
You'll get insight into your hormone levels, how many eggs you have, and other important fertility factors. The results go deep into what every hormone means, and you can also talk one-on-one with a fertility nurse to review your results and options for the next steps. I found it really interesting to read through the report and talk with the nurse after I got my results back. And if you want kids today or maybe one day in the future, clinically sound information about your body can help you in that decision-making process. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering my friends $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com slash that sounds fun. That means your test will cost $139 instead of the several hundreds or even a thousand plus dollars it could cost at a doctor's office. So get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash that sounds fun. Modernfertility.com slash that sounds fun. And I have one last amazing partner to share with you, Zonder Kids and their Jesus Storybook Bible. I wish I had all the right words to express how much I love the Jesus Storybook Bible from Zonderman. Y'all all all know and love the author, Sally Lloyd-Jones. You know, we've had her on the pod. Well, her Jesus Storybook Bible has been a bestseller for over a decade, you guys. Introducing kids to God's wonderful story and the Savior at the center of it all. One of my very favorite aspects is how every story points to Jesus as our Savior from the Old Testament through the New Testament. It contains 21 stories from the Old Testament and 23 stories from the New Testament and visually brings scripture to life for children, sharing how Jesus is at the center of our story. Sally doesn't just tell kids that God loves them. She describes God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love in the most captivating language. It's the perfect kids Bible for any age up to sixth grade. But let's be honest, adults and annies love it too. The Jesus Storybook Bible makes an ideal gift for Christmas. And there's also a gift edition with a beautiful cloth cover and gold foil. Get your copy in time to go through it with your kids for Advent. You can purchase Zonder Kids Jesus Storybook Bible from your favorite place to buy books or online from Amazon or ChristianBook.com. And now back to finish my conversation with Dave. One of my um, favorite things that a pastor said one time was talking about life, death, and resurrection and talked about how when Jesus was in the garden after he resurrected, Mary didn't even recognize him. And the pastor kept leaning on, you, you've got to remember that resurrection does not look like life. Hmm. After death, you do not get life back. You get resurrection, which feels like what you were saying at the beginning, that you don't even recognize yourself from 18 months ago. Yeah. Because the resurrection may have resemblances of life, but it is a brand new thing. And you kept saying it just now, there's a new thing, there's a new thing. I think so many of us who are in the middle of the death need to hear what you're asking God for is something new, not for life back. Yeah. It's something new. Yeah. Right? And it's better than, right? It's Oh, it's better than, but it still takes time getting used to. Mm. It's better than... But it's That's still right. uncomfortable because the thing that you've always known is different than the thing that you've always needed. Yeah. And how do you do that? How well, do you have those little lines? <laughs> gah, gah. But but that's but that but that's real. And by the way, part of where courage ends up coming in is being comfortable leaning into those things you need at the expense of making other people who have become comfortable with who you've been. Mm-hmm. Uncomfortable. They're going to be uncomfortable because you're now yeah. giving up on what you've known for what you need. They've only known you for what you've known. Yeah. They've become comfortable with you in that space, in that role. And part of the invitation in the book in this, like, hope that you will recognize that you were created with purpose. Mm. You were put here on purpose 
with intention and that the honoring of that intention is work that you got to do, it takes courage to honor the intention because sometimes heeding the call, not just sometimes, I think it's most times, heeding the call is going to require you stepping into a space that you've not been in before. Oh, I think it's all the time. All the time, (laughs) right? Yeah, yeah. But if you haven't unfortunately. been, unfortunately, right? But <laughs> but if you haven't been in the space, and you're surrounded with people that have been always familiar with you, only ever comfortable with you, being who you've been, mm-hmm. the courage to stand into who you were meant to be means weathering their reaction to you becoming something new. Yeah. When I was at onsite, one of the sentences I left with is, "The only people who don't like your boundaries are the people who cross them." One hundred percent. One hundred percent. So you go like, yeah, I, I bet you don't like that because I remember yesterday when I didn't have this boundary. Yeah. And you were very comfortable, and now I have a boundary, and it doesn't. And I get it. It's, there's compassion oh, yeah. for everybody in the story because my boundary's new to me too, in some ways. And yeah. So I'm very sorry. I bet that is hard for you. Oh yeah. I bet that is. Hard oh for you. yeah. Oh, Dave, how are the kids? The kids are great. I mean, it's it's funny not funny, interesting. It's just a real fact of life in real time. I was voice memoing back and forth with Rachel while I'm here in Nashville. And uh, she, because it's our kids first week of school, I had them at the beginning of the week. She has them at the back end of the week. And y'all just both commute them to the same school. And we all live close. We live, we live within 20 minutes of each other. They go to the same school all the time. And then, you know, when they're with me, I'm in charge of getting them there. And with her, it's hers. And we, she, she said in the, in the voice memo, you know what? As much as this last stretch of time has been hard, dang it, our kids are well adjusted or as like well adjusted as you might hope given the circumstance of what they've been through. And yeah. I was like, you know what? At the end of the day, that may be one of the most important single sentences that could be shared between people who have transitioned in a relationship that their kids yeah. are doing well. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, it's interesting as a dad. I, I, I had a bit of a aha moment of, I was sad for them as much as I was sad for myself. And I don't know that I maintained consistency as often as I had prior to the divorce in rule enforcement, mm-hmm. maybe to the detriment of these humans every once in a while. <laughs> and then I found myself becoming comfortable with who I was becoming in a way uh-huh. that was like, oh, you're actually getting an even better version of me. Mm-hmm. I'm a good dad, and yeah. I'm going to be a better dad. And the sheriff's back in town. Yeah, so right. uh, <laughs> I hate to tell you that, like, the grieving <laughs> the grieving period, sure, we can extend it. But the uh, intermittent bedtime te- right. technology flexibility, dad, <laughs> that guy's gone. So I'm going to need you to go ahead and put the devices down. The and I'm going to need you to go down. ahead and get in bed. Thank you very much. I love it. I mean, I just think that one of the things I, it sounds like you've done really well that I've watched some of my friends here do well, whether it's through grieving loss of a spouse or a parent, is that there's an option to fake it in front of your kids and go like, I'll just go cry in my closet. And sometimes that's appropriate, I'm sure. But also there's an option of like, hey, this is who I'm bringing you the best I can bring you today. And that guy lets you on the screens more than last guy and future guy. Oh, yeah. I, I, I mean, I went through a Cal Ripken-esque streak of crying at yeah. the beginning. Like, I was very consistent. Is it a day? Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and cry. <laughs> Perfect. 
And I did contemplate like, oh, do I want to like I don't want to make them feel like they need to feel sadder because now they're seeing dad cry. But I also am raising three boys who I hope become men that are super comfortable with their emotions. And so I was like, yep. Yeah. I'm a crying today and yeah. it's going to be okay. And I'm, you know, and, and normalized it in a, in my hope was anyway, that if I could normalize that, Hey, I'm going through it and it's hard and it's okay that it's hard because we're going to get through this, yeah. that it might invite a conversation for them to bring up how they felt on the days it was hard. Yeah. And it was beautiful yeah. because I mean, <laughs> one of my kids is just so expressive. He's so deep in his feelings. And he came to me like, I'm feeling a tsunami of sadness. Oh, and I was like, well, the descriptor tsunami honestly makes me want to cry now, but mm-hmm. please explain where it comes from, why it's here. I also, I went, uh, this is a little bit of a sidebar, but it, it, it was instructive in how I tried to yeah. engage with my kids. I started a, a form of therapy that I'd never done before. I've always, I've, I'm a huge advocate of therapy. You can go ahead and send as many notes as you like if you don't like therapy. But uh, <laughs> not our people. Okay. Everybody knows. Great, great. <laughs> uh, but um, but I started doing something called internal family systems, which was mm-hmm. this idea of like me as self being the observer of the parts in my being, whether it's my helpers or my thoughts or my emotions or my whatever, and trying to create a relationship that said, you are not this thought, you are not this emotion, Mm. you are the observer of them, very much in like an untethered soul kind of way. And that work was life-giving. I mean, transformational in the midst of this hardest season because I – couldn't at the beginning disassociate my my sadness from me being like I, I just you know like I am this sadness yeah and instead I I got to this place where I could have an actual conversation I sound like a crazy person but it works trust me with this emotion mm-hmm. in an interrogative kind of way in a similar like in my mind it works in a way that like we're sitting at this table looking yes. at each other right now where. I, the, the example I always use because it just I think lands easiest for people is my anxiety. Mm-hmm. I named my anxiety Clark because <laughs> Clark, I mean, simply, Great right? Name. Okay, so Clark is the most present emotion that I was struggling with in yeah. a world where I did not know what was going to happen after I thought I knew what was going to happen. Yes. Clark is named in part because with the glasses on, Clark is the counter to Superman yes, and I yes. want to be super. So I need to understand what role, Clark, do you believe yourself to be playing here when my anxiety would present? I'm talking situational anxiety. This isn't, you know, some kind of, uh, you know, the kind that might need uh, a medicine or some kind of deeper, you know, like I want to honor the fact that there is like chronic. Totally. A different kind. This isn't the low hum anxiety no. of constant. This is, there's a situation I'm my saying, anxiety is coming up. That's right. And because yeah. I just, I, I have to be careful because I am also well, like if, you, yeah. yeah, but if, but if you are a sufferer of clinical anxiety, then you need to also have a different kind of treatment than naming yeah. it potentially. But I would, I named it Clark, you're sitting here. Why have you presented yourself? Mm. And we would just have a conversation. And Clark would reveal, oh, well, there's this piece of your life where there's still some ambiguity that if you would actually create a plan, it would solve the reason why I believe myself to be needed here. Wow. And so Clark doesn't realize that he's a negative emotion to me. Clark thinks that he's here to help. And changing the paradigm in our relationship to, oh, Dang helper Clark is here. (laughs) 
over time, right, it was like, oh, he's dropped a trail of breadcrumbs. I can follow them, put a plan in this place in my life. Clark feels wow. great. He's now taken off. And I feel better because I now have clarity in a space that yeah. previously had amb- ambiguity. Yeah. I tell the story in part because when I'm now sitting with my kids and the tsunami of sadness is presented, yeah. I get to now have a conversation that's informed by my own journey inside of therapy for the yeah. year's worth of time. It's, all right, can you ask the tsunami why he's here. Wow. Right? Now, with an eight or nine-year-old kid, interestingly, they have an imagination that affords them, you know, like adults, sometimes I tell the story, they're like, all right, you're weird. I'm like, well, I am weird, but like beyond being weird, (laughs) yeah, uh, you don't have, like, you can think that something's woo-woo or whatever, but at eight, it was like, okay, let's have a conversation with it. Yes. And it ended up being like this beautiful thing to walk alongside someone whose experience I wanted to honor and part of, I hope, the willingness to even introduce the fact that the tsunami existed so we could ask the tsunami a question came because I wasn't hiding in a closet crying on the days when I felt sad. Yes. I, that was a long way to close a story. Oh, I mean, kidding? look I at the, the so it. many off ramps, though. No, I loved it, <laughs> and I I do a similar thing. I think I think our imagination is a tool God has given us to to see what we don't see, to have conversations. I mean, I here we talk about a lot being a good friend to yourself. I mean, I'll look in the mirror and be like, Hey, what are you feeling? Yeah, something is really you. Are you uh, halt? Are you hang? Are you hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? Is it one of those first? If it's not one of those, can we talk? I mean, I and I will answer myself. That's good. Because I have to be, especially in my current life where I'm not married yet, I'm like, I need to be, there isn't someone else to bounce this off of. Yeah. So it is like, look in the mirror and be a friend to yourself. That's good. Okay. Built through courage. I, I mean, all of us are going to need this. I need this. I am ready to finish it. I'm so happy. Thank you for writing it. Thank you. It was out of a place of real sacrifice that you wrote this. And that when that happens, when people write from there, it's there's a multiplier from God on it. And so that is, I'm very excited for what you for that. What a kind thing to say. It's true. I appreciate I that. I mean it. Um, is there anything we didn't talk about that you want to make sure we cover? I mean, we have a bazillion things to cover. Oh, my but. goodness. No, this is like the most fun conversation. Oh, I'm Honestly, so glad I, I loved it, too. I love it. Uh, and how do we ever dream up doing this? We got to do this like eight more times. I'm in. Here is the last question we always ask. Oh, here we go. Because the show is called That Sounds Fun, tell me what sounds fun to you. Well, this is such a weird answer. Great. But I have been— And don't judge your fun. We don't let people no, judge your fun around here. I've been, I've been in a season of saying yes yeah. to— anything. In a weird way, like the the freedom that comes in hard things happening that you don't expect, you um, embrace the reality that control was always an illusion. And if it is, then why not maybe jam a little bit more into every single day because you got... Which is how I trapped you here at 5.30 p.m. (laughs) I am here for it. I love it. So, um, So fun for me recently has been just this idea of saying yes to things that I've never done before. Even if they end up not being fun once I am like totally immersed in them, I have found um, like I I I really have just been on this hunt in this last 18 months to like really get to know myself. Who are you? Who are you not married? Who are you as a single dad? Who are you? Like, what do you want to do? What do you want to do with your spare time? What do you want to like, what do you like? Right. And I, in some ways, lost touch with what I like 
and I have been given a permission slip to go find it out. Yeah. And so putting my toe into a bunch of different pools to see what actually feels like passion yeah. has been the fun. Yeah. So I am in real time. I mean, the, this this sounds fun and it sounds super terrifying, but I feel like I have to say it on podcasts so that I go through with it. <laughs> okay, good. So I've been dating this woman named Heidi who's fantastic and also happens to be a transformation specialist and a bodybuilder in her past. Yes. Okay, she's got like – so many amazing qualities, but among them, she knows how to help people get into incredible shape. Yeah. And very, very early on, at the very beginning of our relationship, we were working out, and she said, my goodness, you have the musculature, a word I'd never heard in my yeah. entire life, yeah. um, for someone who could actually really become strong and have like a lot of muscle if you wanted to. Uh-huh. And it, it reminded me of – You're like, I like this relationship. I like this relationship. <laughs> she thinks I could be stronger. Right. Um, it actually reminded me when I was in like second or third grade. Do people usually answer the question real quick and then leave the no. show? Oh, is it okay to no, keep talking? No, this is 100% what oh, we're here for. great. So when I was in like second or third grade, I got a letter from the Gifted and Talented Education Program, uh-huh. GATE. Yeah. And it was basically like, hey, Dave, you're smart. Yeah. And the it was the first time that a third party called me smart, sure, yeah. And that affirmation from the expert had me believe it for the first time, right? And I, to the detriment of everyone who had to deal with my ego, <laughs> I believed it every single day since. Still believing. Still believing. <laughs> but Heidi, as a professional uh-huh. inside of the fitness and health space, yeah. suggesting to me that there was something just inherently in whatever musculature is. Yeah. I mean, like, still, I need to look it up. I think it means that I have this ability, to, right? So I have been having fun with strength training. Yeah. In part because I've never, I had a limiting belief of what my body could do or yeah. how strong I could be. And as it turns out, for me, as I've dialed in, getting really specific about nutrition, yeah. getting really disciplined around pushing heavy weights in a gym. Yeah. Um, I, I've i never had this much, muscle, this much muscle on my body in my life. Yeah. And I've committed, this sounds fun. I'm trying to say this sounds fun. Yeah. To standing on a stage in a physique competition. No. Where, where I will be dipped in. Dave. Oh, yes. In very brown paint that Nine, will make you very shiny and oily. The ninth <gasps> day of November. Sixth, seventh day of November. Anyway, like. Two weeks like after, a bodybuilding competition. Two weeks after my book comes out, as a oh. display of my courage to try things that <laughs> I am terrified of, I'm going to be in a bodybuilding competition. That's awesome. Is it though? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, um, so you're fu- going to get like spray tan and then oiled. Just spray me. Oil me, oh. find some flour, throw me in a- you have to wear like a, a bikini? So here's the thing. I said yes thinking I had to, which mm-hmm. did not sound fun because yeah. no one wants that. <laughs> literally, and I mean literally no one wants that. But as it turns out, physique is one of three divisions. Okay. And the physique division wears board shorts. Great. I am here for great. board. Great. Like, yes. That oh, worked out great I can for wear, you. Can I put a sunset on the board shorts? <laughs> yes, you can. Fantastic. Physique wears board shorts. So there's physique, then there's like a, a next level. And it's all about like how much weight, how much mass you have on your yeah, body. It's yeah. not like level one, two, and three. Sure. It's just like 
almost like uh, boxing has heavyweight and, and lightweight and flyweight. It, if you're the champ, you're the champ. Right. But it's just about like how much weight. The middle level, you're wearing like a boxer brief. Okay. Which, you know, like I've got a boxer brief on now. I don't want to get into details, <laughs> but like I'm comfortable Fine. in a boxer yeah. brief. Okay. <laughs> The, the, it's the high, the top level, Mr. Uh-huh. Olympia kind of level that wears right. the uh, the the banana hammock, and so that's Great. just. Can you say banana hammock? You in did. Front of Annie you're the first time. F downs? You're the first one. I think uh, that I, that's happened on here. Someone what, will correct what us. What is happening? Um, so anyway, I'm 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 never. I will never say never. Right. I, I don't think I'll ever be um, that muscly. But the idea of, I mean, truly. But you're going to do board shorts. There's a lot of things I didn't think I'd ever be. Right. Here I am, single dad of four people, and (laughs) I'm going to be in a physique competition. Oh, I cannot wait to watch as much as you will let us watch. I'm going to, here's the thing. Is the win entering or is the win winning something? The win is entering. Okay. 100%. Okay. I mean, I just, do you want me to stop talking? No, we have three minutes. Oh, we have three minutes. Okay. We're great. The bottom, here's the bottom line. The bottom line is the entry is the win. Okay, great. I just, I just, what I was going to say is I just went through this triathlon experience that I Mm -hmm. didn't train perfectly for. It didn't go as well as I wanted. And yet getting in the water was the win. Yeah. Even if I was disappointed in the outcome. Yeah. In part because I now know what it's going to take to train to do it as well as I know I want to for next time. Yeah. And so getting on that stage, that's the win. Right. Because I... Very well, very, very well may not win. I don't think I'll win, but I'm going to know. What if you win? No, don't say it. The thing is, if the the reality is in not winning would be the best thing that could happen for me. I want to give my very, very best and be humbled by part of the experience so that in the humbling, I know where I have work to do for the next competition. Can we also just say the joy the entire internet would feel oh. if you got a trophy or something, a medal? Annie, Do you get medals? What do you get? Oh, trophies Annie, or medals? You don't appreciate where joy on the internet comes from. <laughs> the joy on the internet would come from me not meddling and not having uh, an ab. Okay. Like I just want one ab. Okay. Can I get? Yeah. Can we get one ab yeah. on this guy over yes, here? Yes, I think so. You've I'm got six, months four. to do it. I got, yeah. I got like almost three months. I yeah. need one ab. Oh, this is going to be so great. We wish you all the best. You are, according to That Sounds Fun, you are the physique winner of this tournament. You're the only guy in board shorts here. So thanks for doing this. I appreciate you making time. I'm really glad we're friends. Me too. Thankful. Oh, you guys, don't you just love him? So honest, so generous. I just think the world of him. Be sure to pick up your copy of this new book, Built Through Courage. Go follow him on Instagram so you can thank him for being on the show today. If you need anything else from me, you know I'm embarrassingly easy to find. Annie F. Downs on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the places you may need me. That's how you can find me. And I think that's it for me today, friends. Go out or stay home and do something that sounds fun to you. And I will do the same. And for me, what sounds fun to me today? Well, I'm thinking about my Georgia Bulldogs tomorrow. So I'm excited to watch some football tomorrow. That sounds fun to me. I would love to hear what sounds fun to you. Tell me over on Instagram. Have a great weekend, friends. We'll see you back here on Monday with you know her and love her, Mariah Smallbone, also known as Mariah Peters, now known as Mariah. Y'all are going to love this conversation. We'll see you back here on Monday. Have a great weekend.